fruit of the Spirit. This week and next week, and then we're done. Uh, and we've been talking about the idea of the fruit of the Spirit with this concept in mind. Uh, as Christians, uh, we understand that we were born sinners in need of a Savior. Christ came to this earth, died on the cross, so that we could have forgiveness of sins. When we come to a point that we place our faith and trust in him, we become a new creation. What that means is that, and we're using the plant idea from Galatians chapter 5, what that means is that we have this old nature, this root stock, so to speak, that always keeps the wanting to produce in our lives. Uh, just like when you graft something onto a tree, it still has the old root stock, but you have a new type of fruit that comes off of it. And so what God does, in essence, when we become a Christian, is he, he chops off the, the fruit part of, of our lives, and he produces, uh, he grafts onto it himself. So he allows us the ability to produce different kind of fruit than what we would normally produce. So when we look at the world and we see things and we watch how the world responds, we understand that because Christian, we're Christian. God has given us a different way to respond. He gives us the power, the ability to respond differently. So when somebody is unloving towards us, we don't have to respond in an unloving way. We can produce the fruit of this, the characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. One of those characteristics is love. Uh, when things aren't going our way, when circumstances have gone south on us, um, we don't have to be all anxious about it. We can... And, and upset and let it ruin our day, we can still have joy in the midst of difficult times. We can still have peace in the midst of turmoil and chaos. Um, so he goes on, he talks about love, joy, and peace are, are some of the fruits. He talks about um, the idea of patience and then um, goodness. And uh, let me get them all up here. Uh, the idea of forbearance, which is patience. The idea of kindness, which we talked about that, the Old Testament idea of hesed. The idea of God was loyal to his people no matter what. And we, can, we can be kind to people. We don't, have to, uh, we don't have to respond and act like the world acts. We really don't. We're going to struggle with one this morning that is really countercultural. Uh, and the idea of uh, goodness, that um, God has been incredibly good to us. And sometimes Satan works in our lives to get us to question that. And, and as, a, as a Christian in, in America... We have no basis on which to say God is not good to us. Um, he has been so abundantly good to us. And then we talk about the idea um, of faithfulness and the idea that, that faith is the idea, it's the confidence that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he has said he's going to do. We talked about that idea that when we talk about the issue of faith, it's not an experience-oriented thing. It's just a confidence that God is going to do what God said he's going to do. And uh, so it's really important that we understand what God said. This morning, we're going to look at the idea of gentleness. Uh, you want to talk about an anti-American concept, um, or, gen or meekness, um, which is gentleness. Uh, I mean, this is tough, because we're in a culture that's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Um, we're in a culture where often, when we talk about meekness, What's the first thing, as soon as you saw the word meekness, what came to your mind? Weakness, yeah. Because in our culture, in our mindset, we assume that to be meek is to be weak. And yet, 
the Bible has a lot to say about this. Um, the Bible has a lot of great Bible characters that, 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 that emphasize this idea. So the first thing I want to do right off the bat is diffuse it and say, look, you need to understand meekness is not weakness. All right? and, and I think when we're all said and done, we're going we're gonna to illustrate it. Aristotle said this. I think this is interesting. He said, Aristotle believed that meekness was a virtue that was a balance between two vices. And here's what he said they were. Rage versus indifference. He said, meekness, this idea of meekness, was this balance between rage going off the deep end and indifference where you don't care. He said it's kind of a bringing together of both of those in the middle where you have the ability to get enraged and you had the tendency to be indifferent, but you're not. You are, you are meek about how you handle it. So let's talk about a couple of, um, a couple of let's talk about Old Testament example, New Testament example. Uh, then we're going to look at a New Testament principle and then we're going to apply it. So uh, first, Old Testament example. Probably the greatest example in the Old Testament of meekness is, anybody want to take a guess? Moses. Yeah, Moses. Um, when you understand Moses, uh, you understand that there is an incredible meekness about Moses. Uh, when you understand that when Moses leaves Egypt with the children, first of all, you watch him as he goes before Pharaoh, and we, we, we blow that off. But you need to understand to even walk into the presence of a Pharaoh, the greatest power in all of the known world at the time, and to be able to stand before that, that, that and again, if you've seen some of the, the stuff in Egypt and all of the fancy stuff, can you, first of all, it's all massive. It's huge. And yet, the Pharaoh would sit up on that throne with surrounded by all of this stuff and Moses would go into his presence. And Moses was able to stand before him with this confidence and, and basically say, my God is bigger than your God. And you need to understand, in that culture, Pharaoh was considered God. And Moses has the... the, 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 the the composure, if you will, to be able to go in humbly and say, um, my God says you as God need to let the people go. That's not weakness at all. And then when he does go, he leads out, by conservative estimates, two million plus people. How would you like to be in charge tomorrow of two million plus people? You gotta house them, feed them, tell them where to go, and, and settle all their disputes. That, that's what he did. In fact, he was, because this is the, one of the things by meekness. Meekness puts the other person first. It puts the other person in front of my interests. It says what I want is not important, what what, what, what's best for you is what's important. And so Moses goes and he leads these people out and he starts dealing with stuff. His father-in-law finally has to come to him and says, Moses, look, you got to change your leadership style because you are so committed to these people and you're listening to their stuff all day long. You keep at this, you're going to burn yourself out. You're not going to be able to lead anybody anywhere. 
And he gives them a suggestion on how to reorganize this leading of two million plus people. And he follows it. He takes advice from his father-in-law. I mean, there's this, there's this humility that's often tied to this idea of meekness. You're going to see this when we get to the New Testament. But yet there's this incredible, there's this incredible power and uh, strength, if you will, on Moses. I mean, <clears throat> Moses is able to go to the mountain and deal with God one-on-one. That, that is not weakness, folks. That is incredible confidence. And when you get to the New Testament, there's probably no greater example than Jesus Christ. And when you look at the life of Christ, what's interesting is you see a lot of things, and he mixes this idea of grace and truth. And there's this incredible ability with Jesus that he's king of kings and lord of lords. He spoke creation into existence. And yet, when people challenge him, when people come up against him, when people accuse him of all kinds of things, how does he respond? Now, again, let, let's, let's be really, I mean, really put it together here. He has the ability with, one, with, with a word to create a world. Some clown comes up and starts making fun of him. He has the ability with a breath to wipe him out of existence. That's not weakness. He has the ability on the cross to go, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And the entire angelic heavenly host comes to rescue him. That's not weakness. I think the greatest example you see it, when you understand Roman history and you understand what happens when we deal with the triumphal entry just before the week of the crucifixion and Jesus comes in and when you read the story, he's riding on what? A donkey. Okay, that's an animal of peace. That's an animal of burden. Um, in that culture, when there was a triumphal entry, in the Roman world. Here's what it meant. It meant Rome had conquered a city, a Roman conquered a people, and they would come marching in, and there would be trumpets, and there would be banners, and there would be horses, and all of the armor, and the glitter stuff, and it was a, quite a procession, and it was a, in order, and it was a great big deal. And Jesus comes in on a donkey with people cutting down sticks with leaves on them and waving them as king of kings and lord of lords. With the ability to wipe everybody out with a word. As the Roman soldiers mock him, what do you see? You see this idea of meekness. Is he weak? No, he has the power to, he has the power to end it with a word. He has the power to obliterate everyone by just saying, wipe them out. And yet... He doesn't. Why? Because there's this meekness about Jesus. When he's teaching in the Beatitudes, he talks about this. And what does he say about meekness? The meek shall what? Inherit the earth. One of the seven Beatitudes that he says we need to develop. Now you think about it for a minute. When was the last time you or I focused on meekness in our life? We don't. Why? Because our culture says, if you are meek, people will run you over. If you are meek, if you put somebody else in front of you, 
and you try to do something for them instead of for yourself, people will take advantage of you. People will use you. People will run you over. So we don't want you to do that in our culture. If you're really good at what you do, you are aggressive. I mean, right or wrong? Is that not what we teach? Do we not teach aggression in our culture as a virtue over meekness? And I get it. I, I, listen, you know, I mean, you know, if you know me, you know, you can't, unfortunately, you don't look at me and go, yeah, there's a meek guy. Um, that, this is tough. This is tough. Listen to what Ephesians says. And we've been through this, so I don't want to spend too much time in Ephesians here, but listen to what it says. Be completely humble and gentle. There's our word. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. When Paul's writing to people at Ephesus, he's saying, look, be, be, be completely humble. Is that not what you see in the life of Jesus? Who, being in the form of God, thought it not Robert be equal with God, but humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see this humility. Is it weakness? No. He has, the he has power to just start it all over if he wants. It's not, it's not weakness. But it's this power under control. Put in check, if you will. He goes on to say, um, be humble and, and, and gentle. Here's the idea. The idea uh, is meekness. The idea is he's going to put the needs of others in front of himself. Our culture says, don't do that. Our culture says, run them over if they get out of your way, get in your way. Don't let people take advantage of you. Don't, these are, this is the thing that we, we fight as a culture. If you want to get to the top and be at the top, don't worry about the people you got to step on to get there. And he goes on, he says, look, make every effort, he said, forbear, or, uh, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's that idea of being patient and hanging in there. Um, so let's talk about it. Let's get, uh, this one I don't want to spend a lot of time on. I want to get right to the practical stuff because I think that's where the, where the lessons are for us and for me in particular maybe. Um, let's talk about it in the world of witnessing, um, first of all. Um, as we go out into the world, um, here's a concern for me. As a Christians, um, we, don't, we don't walk into the world with the spirit of, weakness, of meekness. Uh, we, we, we've lost that. Um, we go into the world, well, this is what it says, and this is what you should believe, and no, 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 in your face kind of thing. We go into the political arena doing this in your face kind of thing. <laughs> How is that going to benefit us? If we see everything as a fight. Uh, you know, my wife taught me a long time ago, it takes two people to fight, and when she doesn't fight, it's not any fun anymore. You know? You know? I mean, really. You know, she looks at me and goes, okay, honey, whatever. Oh, don't tell me that. No, you need to understand my point. Uh, whatever, it's okay with me. Well, no, it's not okay with me that it's whatever. I want you to understand my point. Because why? There's that attitude. There's that thing that says, you know what, look, um, I, we don't, I don't need to fight you over this. 
This isn't a battleground. Those of you who are teenagers, listen, 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 listen. Okay? Take your battles carefully. Decide which hills you want to die on. All right? Because it really does. I mean, you can fight them on everything if you want. And, and, and I think this is, what, this is what happens when you're a grandparent. Is you start to realize this. When you're a grandparent, it's like, eh, you know, eh, it's just a little candy. Don't worry about it. Uh, you, you look at it completely differently, you know, when you're a grandparent. And I don't know if some of that's the gentleness, the mellowing out. I don't know what it is where you realize, okay, everything's not, everything doesn't have to be a big crisis or a big battle. But it's this idea of when we go into the world, I think the world needs to see people who are firm in what they believe. But we don't have to be, we don't have to have that aggressiveness that the world has with everything else. I think that's what you see in Jesus. They, over and over again, they come to him wanting to pick a fight. The Pharisees are always trying to pick a fight with Jesus. And what does he do? He always, in a humble, meek, way responds in which they step back and go, uh, we don't know what to do now. Because he's able to do that. I'm not saying there's not times that he stands up for, wrong, for that which is wrong. He does that when he overthrows the, the tables and, and the temple. But that's at the end of three years of responding in a meek way. He had to do something different to get their attention. And it wasn't something he just reacted with. He literally saw it, went home that night, came back the next day and made a statement. So it's important for us to understand that as we go into the world, I think the world has to see people who are solid in what they believe. And yet, we don't have to be that aggressive. Now, some of you go to the opposite extreme. It's like, you know, you're walking the walk, but you don't say diddly when somebody asks you about your Christianity. You brought up in a culture that's like, oh, you know, it's just my thing. And uh, No, when you have the ability to speak, speak. Speak the truth in love. That's what we're challenged to do so i think there's there's that aspect and there's that aspect as we go into the world i think there's the aspect of us in a church that's important that we have that idea of meekness that we when you walk into church this by the way this is a key to church okay here's a key a lot of people don't figure out you want to know what the key to really growing in your christian life when you come to church on sunday is Every time you walk in that door, you find one person that you're going to encourage or build up today. It's not about what you learn here. I want you to learn here. That's why I, I, I work on this. I want you to grow. I want you to be stretched with the Bible. I want you to learn what the truth is. But if, that's all, but if it's all about you, that's not meekness. Meekness is the idea of putting somebody else in front of you, putting somebody else in uh, in front of serving them. So what happens is you walk into church, you go, who can I encourage today? You know what? They look like they're having a tough day. Who can I build up? What parent can I come alongside and say, hey, look, I just what you know. I've been watching your kids. You're doing a great job. How many of you heard that as parents when you were growing up? You know? And yet we've got parents who are struggling and they need a pat on the back. They need somebody going, hey, I'm in your corner. And I want you to know I noticed you. Have have you ever watched on Facebook when somebody says something nice about their kids, how people are like, I can't believe they did that, you know. know? And and most of you are parents, you know this. Um, The first question is, are you sure it was my kid? Uh, Because we tend to be harder on our own kids than other people are. And our kids tend to be different with other people than they are with us. You know, 
But it's the idea of encouraging and building up. It's the idea of letting each other know we're in the corner. It's the idea of putting them first. That, that, that idea of meekness is, is putting them in front of me. And I think we've got to get to that point. You know, in, in church, I mean, it's not about you. It's about us. Us as a whole. That's why, you know, people are like, you know, well, you know, I don't know. The music isn't like the music that I want. You know what? The music's not the music I want. Because if we did the music that I want, nobody would come. Because my music is my music. But, but the people here, Juanita, does a great job of going, okay, we're going to do something that the kids will like and something that the young people will like and something that the old people will like. And we're just going to, because it's about everybody, you know? And, and that's the whole idea is that we've got to keep that big picture in mind. And that's the idea of that gentleness, that meekness, the idea that it's not about me. Meekness has that idea of, yes, I could win the fight, but I'm not going to fight. It's like some five-year-old comes up to me and goes, you know, Pastor, I don't like you. I'm going to punch you out and blah, 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 blah. Am I, what, how silly would it be if I started fighting them? I stick my arm out, I put it on their head, they can swing all day long, they're not going to hit me. It's like, I'm not going to fight you, I don't need to fight you. And yet, you and I fight stuff all the time that we don't need to be fighting. We just need to let it go, even though we, had the, even though we might be right. The relationship is more important than being right. You know, I like what, you know, I think it was Dr. Phil who said it, you know, do you, do you want a relationship or do you want to be right? What's more important to you? And there's a lot of truth in that, you know? And I, I mean, my wife, you know, she, did, she does this stuff to me all the time. Um, it's like yesterday we were at, we went to the Missouri River Expo thing in Nebraska, whatever it is. Missouri River, huh? Outdoor Expo. Okay, yeah, we went to that thing yesterday. So, um, and so we're driving out there, and um, Aaron and Claire are following us in another car. And we get, when we turn off of Highway 12, I get behind this person who was driving really slow. And as soon as we turned off 12, they stopped, first of all, they stopped at the stop sign that says, you do not have to stop if you're turning right. And they stopped. Well, that just set me off right there. And so I look at my wife and I say, can't they read? So then we turn right. And then they put their blinker on to turn left. I'm saying, everybody knows where we're going. This is not it. So they, and they, they went really, they went like five miles under the speed limit. You know, you know what kind of people I'm talking about? If you're one of them, I hope I'm not the one behind you, okay? So they did this, and then when you get to the expo, because of the flooding, they had to redo everything. So normally you pull right in, and, and, and they park, and they take us down this gravel road, and, 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 and all the way to the backside of the park. And we're down there, and I'm, telling, I'm looking at my wife, and this is crazy. I said, they should be showing off the front of the park. I didn't realize because of the flooding. They should be showing off the, 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 the front of the park. And then these people, it was like, because they were on gravel, they didn't want their car to get dirty. So they're going like 15 miles an hour. And I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and cars are just starting to back up. And there's no car for like a mile in front of them. So I have this running commentary the whole time. 
And my wife is, my wife is sitting there, and she's used to this. And so she reaches over. This is my wife now. She reaches over, and she taps me on the leg, and she goes, I choose peace. <laughs> and I look at her and goes, I don't want peace. I want them to move. <laughs> and, and, and then we get to where we turn in a parking area, and they put on their turn signal. I'm like, there's a cop standing in front of you. You can't go anywhere but right. You don't need your turn signal. Just drive. And my wife was like, honey, why are you getting so frustrated over this? She says, I'm choosing peace. By the time I get out of the car, I am like, you know. But this is, and, and I know I'm going to preach on this today. This is what's even more frustrating to me. Is instead of just stepping back and going, you know what? You're going to spend the day with your family, enjoy the day. I'm getting all ratcheted up. Because this, because I, I can't take their license away and say you can never drive again. Um, but that's the thing. That's what happens. That's what happens to us. Instead of saying, you know what, they're enjoying the day. I'm going to enjoy the day. It's so easy to get wrapped up in this world of this aggressiveness and, and forgetting this idea of, you know, I mean, at one point I even thought about passing them. I thought I can't do that because Claire and, and Aaron are following me. Um, it was just one of those things where it's like, okay, you know what? We have to step back. And we have to ask ourselves, is that aggressiveness really something that we want to cultivate in, in, in our lives? Because most of the time, it does more damage to us than it does good to us. That's why Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Those people have a, a, a way about life that life becomes manageable for them. They can go to the expo and drive 15 miles an hour and get out of their car and go, oh, honey, it's a great day. Why? Because they've mastered some of this kind of stuff. And there's a different way of living. Um, look at, for some of you are leaders, um, you're involved in managing people. Listen to this. Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you live by the Spirit, should restore that person gently. Many of you were like me. You were brought up in churches where that's, we didn't deal gently with people. If they did something wrong, boy, we were going to hang them out to drive for it. And one of the things that Paul teaches the people at Galatian is, look, when you're trying to help somebody, be gentle. Be gentle. Parents, as you deal with your kids, as you deal with your grandkids, this idea of being gentle whenever possible. I understand sometimes you've got you to be firm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, ask my boys. They'll tell you. You know, you know they, one of the things they won't say is, yeah, my dad was gentle growing up, you know. Because, you know, unfortunately, my idea was... Um, is it bleeding? No. Is it broken? No. Keep working. Uh, and some of you came out of that world. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, but this idea of gentleness. Now, it's interesting because now as a grandfather, it's a whole different world for me. And maybe it's because i got a girl now. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens when the boy comes along. But um, one, maybe two, who knows. Uh, but, 
we just have to see how that plays out, but this idea of, of trying to be gentle um, is important. I, I think probably the best application for this is in marriage. Um, l- listen to this, and, and wives, women don't get all bent out of shape until you hear me out on this. Um, wives, have a meek and gentle spirit. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment. And I'm not saying this. Look, if the barn needs painting, paint it. Right? (laughs) Seriously, I'm serious. If the barn needs painting, you paint it. But don't rebuild it. Okay? Don't rebuild it. All right? Uh, I don't have a problem with, you know, you know, some guys have a problem with the whole makeup thing. I'm like, no, if the barn needs paint and paint it, but don't rebuild it. Um, uh, Anyway, (laughs) you're not going to remember anything else today but that. All right, here we go. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles. And no offense, hairstylists that are in here, because we've got a bunch of you. Um, Or wearing of gold or jewelry. So if you're selling like jewelry stuff, don't get all bent out of shape on that one either. Or fine clothes, if you like do the clothing thing, okay? Rather, it should be your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is great worth in God's sight. Now, let me tell you what this is not saying. This is not saying, women, to be a doormat. I, I believe strongly in having strong women who have a presence about them. Look, I, and I taught my boys. You know, you don't be intimidated by, by strong-charactered women. In fact, you should pursue them because you're going to need that kind of person in your life who can go toe-to-toe with you. And both of my boys did really good about getting people who can do that, all right? Um, and so, and I did that. I told them, I said, I'm, look, you know, you've watched your mom and me, you know. She's not, she's not a pushover, but here's the thing. It's just like what happened yesterday. I choose peace. That, that's how she, and it's like, it's like, well, that's fine for you, but it's not working for me. Uh, this is what we're talking about. She, she could have lectured me. She could have been out of shape on me. She could have gone all ballistic on me, you know, about I'm going to go get in the car with Aaron because it'll be a whole lot more comfortable than it is listening to you for the last 10 minutes. She could have done all that. She goes, honey. I choose peace. That's what we're talking about, ladies. We're talking about that quiet, firm, gentle, but firm, but solid kind of interpresence. That's what attracted me to my wife. Okay? Was I noticed that about her. And, you know, yes, you know, I mean... Did I think she was good looking? Yes. Did I think, as I told my boys, always marry out of your league. Did I think she was out of my league? Yes. Okay. But I caught her at a weak moment and she said yes. But it's that gentle and quiet spirit. And and, and that's what I'm saying. This is not about weak. This is about strength under control, if you will. Just like you have in the life of Christ. And then guys, don't think you get off because he goes just a few verses later and listen to what he says. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Now you can remember, this is a culture in which 
you, you, if you wanted to marry someone, you just said, Dad, that's the one I want. In some cases, Dad came to you and said, here's the woman you're stuck with, because I get more dowry from her than the, the other girl. So in some of these situations, it wasn't a we love each other thing. This was a contractual kind of thing. And he says, you be considerate with your wives. You treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heir. Weaker partner is this idea of meekness, gentleness. Okay? And I'll explain it in a second. Um, as a gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Guys, it's interesting. This is one of the few things in the Bible that God says, look, you... There are certain things that I guarantee you I will do. If you don't treat your wife right, I will not hear your prayers. This is a scary verse to me as a, as a husband. Where God looks at me and goes, look, you don't treat your wife right, I'm not listening to you. Well, I guess I better do that then, huh? But he says, treat them as a weaker partner. Um, um, it's, it's, it's not the idea of weaker or less in value. Uh, and I make this analogy. Those of you who know me know that one of the things that I'm passionate about and becoming, I've started about eight years ago and I'm becoming more and more passionate about it, is blowing glass. And I love to do that. There's just something about that for, that for me that I just, I, every chance I get, I do it. Um, and when you're done, here's what you have. You have this thing that you have created with your own hands. And it is incredibly fragile and incredibly valuable so i treat it accordingly um if you go into my office i have things that i've made that are sitting on shelves the hand-blown glass that i've done sits in a glass case it's given special a special place in my office both here and at home why because those things have incredible value maybe not monetarily but from memories and things that I have done, they have an incredible place. So they get a special place in my office, in my home. Why? Because I have a whole bunch of cups that I drink coffee out of. They get thrown in dishwasher and stuff like that. They don't get treated special. The, the hand bone glass that I've done, that gets treated with great respect and great, it gets its own shelf, it gets its own place. Why? Because it has value to me. That's what he's saying. You take your wife and you don't treat her like you treat every other woman. She gets put way up here. She gets treated uniquely special. Why? Because she is more valuable than anything else you've got, including your toys and your job and your stuff. That should have the greatest value in your life next to your salvation. So when he says, when you treat her as the weaker partner and heirs together with you, he's like, this is one of the greatest things God's ever done to you, you do, or for you, so you don't just treat her like anybody else. She gets put way up here. That's what he's talking about. And gentleness, or the idea of meekness, is the idea of I put your needs above my needs. As husbands, that's what we're to do. And you know, one of the things that, and, and fortunately I give you a lot of credit because it is changing. But one of the things that drove me nuts when I came out into a rural area for the first time is the way guys treated their wives. 
it made me mad. Because I actually would hear it in the community. You'd be better off to be their hired hand than their wife. Because their hired hand gets treated better. I want to go slap those guys silly. I'm like, how dare you treat your wife like that? And I, and I challenge you with this idea of meekness is the idea of I'm going to put your needs in front of my needs. And you give me two people, you give me a husband and a wife who are living that way, where a wife is getting up and saying, you know what, I'm going to practice meekness today and how I can serve and put the needs of my husband in front of my own. And you give me a, a husband who's saying, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to practice meekness and I'm going to put the needs of my wife ahead of my own. And you get two people trying to outserve each other. Hey, you've got a solid marriage. It's a great example for anybody who's watching it. And that's my challenge. You take that kind of marriage and you go out into the world, believe me, people will notice. You go into the workplace <clears throat> with the attitude of, how can I serve and help you or the company or whoever else? Eventually, people will notice. You know, you start dealing with cashiers and checkout people and things like that. That way, people will notice. You stop fighting stuff that you really don't need to be fighting. People will notice. You start, again, my wife, love her to death, but she gets under my skin with stuff like this. I choose peace. The reason it gets under my skin is because she's right, and I know she's right. And if we could argue about it, I might stand a chance. But if I can't argue about that, I've just got to go, oh, she's right. And if I want to argue, she's going to choose peace, so I lose all the way around. It just drives me nuts, but that's the way we need to do it. So I want to challenge you with this idea of meekness. Instead of being so aggressive, and I know what's going to happen this week, I'm going to get behind every slow person that drives all week long. That's, that's because God's going to say, okay, I'm going to, we're going to test you here. I'm going to grow and stretch a little bit, and sometimes I'll win and sometimes I'll lose. But hopefully, I can start to incorporate it in my life as well. That's how we grow. So I end this morning with this. As we look at this idea of meekness, it's a way of life that sees strength in restraint. It's reflective of God's people. Meekness demonstrates a focus on others before self. Let's live as people who are practicing meekness. Let's pray. Lord, help us, guide us, direct us. Lord, it's easy to talk about, hard to do. So, Lord, you have given us the ability. We just need to change our focus. So, Lord, in those situations where we want to tend to fight for our rights and push and push and push and push, may we really be able to step back and see things from the perspective of others. And, Lord, put their needs ahead of our own and maybe see the big picture, not so much focused on the little individual battle. So, Lord, guide us, use us. Lord, may people see Christ in us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Uh, we're going to stand together. And